83% of companies say they need more leaders and better leaders in order to accomplish the goals that they have for the future. But only 5% of companies actually have a strategy and plan. And that, my friends, is why this podcast is called Wake Up and Lead, because most people say they care about growing and developing, and most organizations say they care about growing and developing their people, but few do anything about it. So I want to get you to wake up and lead. My guest today, Dr. Garland Vance, CEO of Advanced Leadership and author of Getting Unbusy, is going to join me to talk about culture, if it's worth investing in your people, and why most organizations aren't doing this. I'm your host, Hampton Dorch. Let's hop in. All right, folks, our guest today is another one of my LinkedIn friends. For those of you not on LinkedIn, I know I talk about it a lot, but it's changed my life because I get to meet people like Dr. Garland Vance, who also went to Sanford University, the the Beeson School there, and is in the leadership development space. So we get to talk about a lot of similar things and learn from each other. And he has about 400 hats behind him. (laughs) So I may have to ask you about that too, but Garland, it's Pleasure to have you on the show. Man, awesome to be here. Thanks, Hampton. Excited to do this. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let, let's hop right in. Um, I, I would just love to hear a little bit about you and your background of, of how you got to even starting advanced leadership. And um, if you just want to tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, so, um, so it's funny. My dad was a pastor. My mom was a Christian school teacher. And, and so I grew up in this home that talked about leadership all the time. And I had parents and, and mentors growing up who were always like, oh, you're a leader, you're a leader. And I had no idea what that meant. And then um, just started observing leaders from my high school principal who had a big impact on me and my Spanish teacher who had a, a huge impact on me. Just started observing leaders and knowing, oh, man, where when there's a good leader, something's different. And that was about as much as I could explain, you know, in my, in my little high school vocabulary is, is when there's a good leader, something's better. And when there's not a good leader, something's not as good. And um, so, so fast forward, I, I uh, got to earn my, my master's from Beeson Divinity School. And my first job out of that was working with Chick-fil-A's Windshape Foundation. And literally my first day on the job, one of the Kathy family members came to me and said, hey, this, this Windshape College program that we've got, we need a new mission, new vision, new core values, new program, like let's scrap it and start all over again. And we got to create a four-year leadership development program uh, that was in partnership with Chick-fil-A and some of the amazing leaders there. And so it put me in this place where I was developing a leadership program and leading that leadership program. And then at the same time, teaching other people how to become better leaders. And uh, it just sent me down this trajectory of, of seeing how important leadership is and uh, ended up getting my doctorate in, in leadership and uh, working at a church as a leadership development pastor. And then five years ago, my wife and I started our own leadership development firm. Wow. And for someone that has so many different stories and and great stories to tell, you articulated that very quickly and precisely <laughs> and well. I feel like you've had to do that a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Forty six years of life. How do you put that into into two minutes? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, for those of you listening, you probably think I'm sponsored by Chick Fil A at this point because they just come up all the time. We work with them at Wild Spark and. Garland has a, has a background with them. I mean, I can't think of a better place to be empowered to say, hey, go go build this, go do it. 
Um, what, what was, what was that experience like? It was intimidating. Like, to be honest, it was uh, so so we we started with some ideas. And, and, and I'll just tell you, when when we first started it, we knew we only had four years to develop students. And so we started with a really important question, which was at the end of a four year experience, what characteristics and experiences do we want students to have? And we started with a list of one hundred and fifty characteristics and we were like we might not be able to do that in in four <laughs> years or in four lifetimes and and so it took us months to really whittle it down to six that we we said you know they, we want them to graduate with these characteristics and then able you know was just able to go to chick-fil-a leaders from across the board and ask okay if you only had four years to develop this characteristic how would you do it? How would you design a program? How would you, um, you know, uh, who would you have teach that? Who's the content expert in that field? And so just in a very short period of time, we were able to connect with just big thinkers in that space and really pick people's brains about how, how they would design a program and then take some of those ideas and, and put them together. So it was intimidating, but it was, it was incredible at the same time. Mm. Well, I love that you were even able to go and ask people to say, hey, like, I, I think I have an idea of what I'm doing, but but help me. You guys have clearly done this really, really well, and I know they've only gotten better since. I may put you on the spot. Do you happen okay. to know those six or a few of them, at least, of those characteristics? Oh, gosh. Let's see. So it was a, it was a faith-based program. So it was um, develop a biblical worldview, um, live out of our identity in Christ, develop a network of meaningful relationships. Um, These are good already. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's all I can. <laughs> that's all I can remember right now. Hey, that was that was quite some time ago. I mean, I think. These are fantastic. Whether you're a person of faith or not, um, I think there's got to be a lot of value there. Relationships. I mean, those are obviously super important. Um, but anyways, I saw you post something the other day about uh, going to the Chick-fil-A Support Center and even Disney World and yeah. showing some MLK speeches. Is that something that you're doing with advanced leadership? That is. So advanced leadership is our company. And, and uh, one of the things that we do is we work with companies to create custom designed leadership development programs. And so we have one of our clients is a Fortune 500 company, um, and we've developed a, uh, an upper middle manager leadership development experience. And we go to, we spend a week in Washington, D.C. and we watch the I Have a Dream speech from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Uh, we actually go to the Holocaust Museum to see what happens when bad leaders uh, take over and, and don't have moral compass. Uh, we go to Disney World and we have a, a three-day uh, game. It's kind of like the Amazing Race, but it's a three-day game where people are competing in teams, but they're also learning about how to create an incredible customer experience. Uh, at the same time and create a culture where people want to want to just over over commit and over give to um, to customers. And so, yeah, it's it is a blast. So we travel five times over the course of the year, and each of those has a completely different experience to it. I think you're going to be getting some DMs on LinkedIn about, hey, <laughs> what's the company that I can go on a field trip to D.C. and Disney World? <laughs> oh, you got to work hard for it, but it's fun. <laughs> Yeah, no, I bet. I, I, I'm sure that that doesn't come easy. Okay, so you said the word, the word that everyone talks about, culture. Um, and I, I talk about this a lot. I feel like 
probably 10 years ago or, or when you were starting at Chick-fil-A, if you were talking about culture, you were doing something right now. It's our culture is a family. We love each other on every single person's website. So yeah. what does, what is a good culture? How do you define that? Is it a ping pong table? Is it an espresso yeah. machine? Talk to me yeah. about that. So a culture is, so there's toxic cultures, bad cultures, and good cultures. Okay. So a toxic culture is one that allows or encourages dehumanizing behavior, right? So a lot of people talk about a toxic culture and what they mean is, you know, I, I just didn't get my way. That's not a toxic culture. A toxic culture dehumanizes people. Um, a bad culture is one in which the stated values of the organization don't line up with the behaviors of the organization. For example, both Chick-fil-A and McDonald's say that their first core value is service. Every time I go to McDonald's, which is not very often, but every time I go there, I don't feel like they are really excited to serve me, right? They're, they're kind of sitting there like, I'm an inconvenience that's, that's getting in the way. So what that tells me is that would be considered a, a bad culture. The stated value of service doesn't line up with the behavior. A good culture is where the stated values drive the behaviors. And they're gonna do that in four ways. They're gonna do it through habits, right? What are the organizational habits that we, we form? Through the attitudes that we expect people to have. And so there are your culture is going to be shaped by the, the expectation of attitudes, by the processes that we have. Do our processes drive service, right? If service is a core value, do they drive service? Do they help us become more service oriented or do they get in the way of service? And then finally, through our resource allocation, through our time, our money, our energy. Those are going to determine if your stated values line up. So it's not ping pong tables. And I always love to use that as an example. It, ping pong tables create a great culture if you have a culture that values fun or freedom or teamwork or competition. But if you have a, a, a culture that values some seriousness and, you know, we, we work hard or something along those lines, then ping pong tables would actually go against the culture that you're trying to create. That was the greatest explanation of culture that I've ever heard. I guess when you get a doctorate <laughs> Thanks, in leadership, that, that this kind of stuff makes sense. You really know the answers to this. And it's interesting because I think um, I mean the, the, the McDonald's and Chick-fil-A, nothing, uh, nothing yeah, McDonald's, but like we, McDonald's, if you want to hire <laughs> me, please forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean that that's just exactly right. And I think that speaks to something of you can click on almost every website. And I think people have figured out that it's good to put a mission statement or values on your website. And every single company, one of their core values is integrity, which I think right. that's a good thing, but it's just like every single person first puts that or we care about our clients, but I mean, the companies that say, here's our mission and vision and here are our values and here's how we're going to make decisions and live through those. They're obviously yeah. on another level. Which yeah, head and, head and shoulders above other companies. For sure. Um, and then you even mentioned like resource allocation. I think that may come into some of the conversations that you and I have because a lot of times 
Um, when you're in the leadership development space and you're working with, I hate saying soft skills, but sometimes it is a little bit more soft skills. Sure. Driving and, and clarifying exactly what an ROI is, is not the easiest thing in the world to do. And so sometimes resource allocation, depending on the leader of the organization, can be challenging for them to make decisions. But uh, to the to the leader that that is like, should I invest in my people? Is it worth it? Uh, what what would you say to them? Yeah, well, to that leader, to me, the biggest ROI you can can give to to your employees is investment in their growth, right? And that's personal and professional, uh, in my opinion, right? If we help people be better at home, then they're going to be better at work. And if we can help them enjoy work more and be better at work, then they're going to be better at home. So I, I see it as a, a, a both and there. And to me, it's the, the best allocation of resources because they're the people who are doing so much of the work. And so, you know, one of the things that I, I hear all the time when I'm talking to HR leaders or to, to CEOs, they'll say, well, what if we invest all of this time and money in this person and their leadership development and their professional development, personal development, all that stuff, and then they leave our company? We've lost all that. And my response to that is always, well, not exactly. One, that person is going out and they're going to go into a new company and they're going to be an evangelist for, for you. And, and that's good, right? Because they're going to have people at their company who might want to come over and, and work for you. So one, brand awareness, brand, you know, and a positive brand awareness, that's one thing that's going on. But the second thing that's going on is as that person is, is leaving, the rest of your staff is looking and saying, wow, look at all the investment that they made in that one individual, even though he or she left, they're still willing to invest in us, which raises a desire for, for their growth and, and development. And so I think there's an ROI. It's just not always easy to calculate as a lot of other technological investments and things like that are. And as you said, a toxic culture is dehumanizing and investing in your people, regardless if they stay with you for the next six months or retire with you, that's humanizing. That's saying, humanizing. hey, we care about you. And and what, I mean, what if, it would, would it be the worst thing in the world if someone left your company and then they're just a better person, a better husband, father, spouse, friend because of it? And then again, if you're giving to them, likely they're going to be an evangelist for you and say, hey, I grew because... I was a part of here, which I think yeah. is, it, it's just amazing to be able to pour yeah. into your people like that. And unfortunately it's not having, it's not happening enough. Right. Well, definitely not. I mean, you and I were talking before this, that 83% of companies say they need more leaders and better leaders in order to accomplish the goals that they have for the future. But only 5% of companies actually have a strategy and plan for it. Like not even executing it. They just have a strategy and plan to develop those leaders. And so as, as we're looking at what differentiates companies in the future, the one of the best differentiators is to say, man, only 5% of companies have a strategy and a plan for leadership development. So if we implement that, we are going to be so much further ahead, 95% of the other companies uh, that are out there. It, it's a huge differentiator that, that people don't always pay attention to. Only 5%. I mean... Why, why is it only 5%? Surely more than 5%, at least I know more than 5% say they care, but I believe that at least five, more than 5% believe it's important. I, I just wonder why they don't 
have something in place. Yeah. Well, um, what you see is most of the time it, there, there's, a, there's a, a time problem, right? We don't have time to develop something. There's an, a knowledge problem. We don't know how to develop something. And, and that's where things like wild spark and advanced leadership come in, right? We do have time and we do know how, right? Then there's also, and this one is the harder one to, to overcome uh, a lot of times, is there are there is a bias against leaders because there have been so many bad leaders that we've experienced in our, in our past, whether that's political figures who have lost our trust, whether that's been bosses who have, uh, you know, who have not treated us well or who have been self-interested and, and not helped us grow. And because we have some biases against leaders who have gone before us, then, then we have to kind of change that mindset to say, okay, I, it, it's not bad for me to invest in leadership development. It's actually because of those bad experiences that we need to invest in creating better leaders at our company. Mm, that, that's, a, that's a great mindset shift right there. And I think you said that a lot of the time, I hear that a lot. We don't have time. We don't have money. Well, my response, I don't always say this, but sometimes I want to jump through the Zoom and say, I don't think you know how much time and money you're giving up in the future by not investing right now. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the knowledge part of it is just, where do I start? I think just saying, yeah, we need better leaders. It's people just think the only thing out there is like a video from 1995 of someone drawing <laughs> on a blackboard how to have a difficult conversation, which I don't know how well that goes over, but Anyways, great answer right there. Can you talk to me about um, the book that you wrote? Yeah, so uh, in 2019, I wrote a book called uh, Getting Unbusy. Um, so a little uh, history to this. So in, in 2013, I went to my doctor with some weird physical problems. I was having uh, heart palpitations, like I was checking email and my heart would start racing and I was having forgetfulness where I was, would have important conversations and just forget about it. Um, I was exhausted all the time, even though I was eating well and I was exercising, I was just exhausted all the time. And then I was having like chronic migraine headaches, like three migraine headaches a week that would just knock me out. I went to my doctor and said, man, something is going on. And, and he fortunately didn't write me a prescription. He said, well, tell me about your life. And I said, oh, it's a good life. It's just really busy, right? Which is mm -hmm. what so many of us say, right? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm just so busy. And I said, it's a good life. It's just really busy. And he said, well, what do you mean by busy? And I said, oh, well, you know, I, I work 50 to 60 hours a week with this, uh, with this program with Chick-fil-A and I'm spend 10 to 20 hours a week working on my doctorate. And my, my wife and I are, are, you know, still try to date and stay close together. And we have three young kids and we're developing a leadership development program for our church. And so just kind of begin to lay out, you know, these 90, hundred hour weeks that I was doing and, my doctor looked me in the eye, put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Garland, I'm concerned for your life because you're stressed out, and the reason you're stressed out is you're so busy, and I, I got mad at him, and I was like, uh, everybody's busy, and he said, I, I know, and it's killing us all, hmm. so since I was working on this doctorate in leadership, I was like, well, I'm going to research that a little bit, and, um, and as I started digging in and realizing the physical, mental, emotional, relational toll that busyness takes on us. Um, and yet it's something we're bragging about. So it's kind of the equivalent of if somebody said to you, um, hey, I'm really upset because I have lung cancer, but then in the next breath, they bragged 
about smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. That's mm. what we're doing as a society. We're, we're, we're bragging about how busy we are and yet saying, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. I, I just don't feel like my, my life has much meaning or purpose to it. And mm. it's this condition of busyness. Um, and so I wrote Getting Unbusy for, for leaders in particular so that they could begin to say, huh, maybe busyness is actually undermining my productivity. Maybe busyness is actually hurting me and my team. And if we can get unbusy, maybe we'll stress less and accomplish more. Wow. Um, that's a great story. And I think we all are so busy, and we, but we wear busyness as a, as a badge of success. Look at all the things that I'm doing. And then we spread ourselves too thin and we can't be the best version of ourselves. But uh, or if I'm sure, really, I, I'm going to read the book and you need to just read the book. But if, if you had like a couple of like key points from that book, what, yeah. would, what would they be? Yeah. So the first thing that I would say is um, you have to decide that busyness isn't worth it. Like before mm -hmm. you start implementing any strategies, anything along those lines, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, is busyness actually worth it? And I spent a lot of time in the first chapters of the book talking about all of the side effects that it's, it's actually having on us. Um, the second thing that I would say is the best way or maybe the quickest way to get unbusy is to start saying no and to say no early and to say no often. And usually, especially as leaders, the people we have to say no to is ourselves. Like I have way more ideas than I'll ever have time to implement. And so being able to say to myself, nope, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that is, is just absolutely critical as, a, as an early skill to begin to get unbusy. Wow. Saying no. And for, a, I'd say I'm a recovering people pleaser, but I don't know how much I've recovered. I still am. <laughs> and so that yeah. makes it challenging to say no. Um, but I know that everything we say no to, we're saying yes to something else. Yeah. So um, I, I feel challenged and encouraged there. Um, well, I know we're, we're about to be running out of time here, but I have learned so much from you. There's definitely gonna have to be another episode here because I've got a lot more questions, but um, how about you finish this up with, with two things, one, anything you want to share about your book or advanced leadership. And then just for a fun fact, tell us a little bit about your hat collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for, for our business, uh, at advanced leadership, we help, uh, HR leaders develop the leaders they need to retain their best employees. Uh, I think we all know retention and engagement are major problems that businesses are, are struggling with. And so that's really where we help you, the number one reason that people leave a company is because of their boss. And so you fix the boss problem, you fix a, a retention and engagement problem. So that's what we uh, do is, is work with HR leaders on that. Um, behind me, there are, yeah, there are, and then the hat thing behind me, there are a lot of hats. Uh, so um, a few years ago, I uh, getting unbusy was actually up for an award. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to win that award. And um, so my wife was like, Garland, you really need to have a, a bit more of a positive outlook here. Like you were nominated for it. Maybe you could win it. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll make you a deal. If I win it, I'm going to buy myself a really weird hat. I'm going to get a Savannah Bananas hat because I thought it looked cool. And I, I ended up winning the award, which I was totally shocked by. And 
Uh, so I, I ended up buying a Savannah banana hat, which was kind of like my first taste of a drug. Cause I, after that, I was like, oh, every time I have a, a goal that I'm trying to accomplish, I'm going to reward myself with a hat. And then oh, people started giving them to me. I've actually got one right over here. That's boxed up because it's, I've got a post on LinkedIn for 90 straight days. And if I don't do it, I have to give it away. But if I post every day for 90 days, I get to open the hat and keep it. And so it's just a fun way for me to celebrate goals and, and remember people who have given me great hats. And that's just a testament to the leader that you are, because I thought you just liked hats, which there's nothing wrong with, but it's cool <laughs> to make these goals for yourself. And then you mentioned another thing that I can't not say now. Are you just posting on LinkedIn for 90 days for the heck of it? No, I know there's so much about, I mean, why, why should, if whoever's listening to this, why should people get active on LinkedIn? Yeah. Well, I, I think one, there's an amazing community. I mean, Hampton and I met because we met because of LinkedIn. I, you know, there, there was nothing else that, uh, that has to do with it. We just met because of LinkedIn. So I think it's an amazing community of people. Um, second, I think it's, it's an opportunity to learn from people. I mean, from, I learned from you, from Josh, Josh Etris, from so many people who are, are on LinkedIn that I feel like I'm learning from and growing from. And then because only 1% of the people on there are actually content creators, it's a really great opportunity to help you get content out there in a professional environment that tends to be very encouraging. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, and there's a lot more that you can even add there, but those hearing those should be enough to start. And if you have any questions, you can ask either of us about that. But yeah. Dr. Garland, thank you so much for joining me. This has been awesome. I learned a ton. Man, my pleasure, Hampton. Thanks for having me, man. All right, folks, time for your action steps. Number one, be the 5%. Most organizations, 95% of them don't have a leader development strategy. If you need help, with one, if you want to be the 5%, talk to me or Dr. Garland. Number two, have clearly defined core values for your organization and stick to them. Make sure your people know them. Three, read Getting Unbusy. Dr. Garland's book has got to be incredible. I can't wait to read it. We all wear busyness as a badge of success and we got to stop that. And four, anytime something big happens in your life or you accomplish something, make sure you buy a hat to celebrate. Talk to you next week.